0: Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I'm joined as ever by my lovely co-host
1: Sam Ashurst. And I'm a writer. I'm a director, and I want to eat something that is alive. Uh, that is because this week we are going to be talking about Old Boy. Hooray!
0: Um, Yay.
1: Now, Dan, uh, before we start, a question. I think that this might be the best film we've ever discussed. Uh, I think it's between this blowout and audition. How do you feel about that?
0: Uh, I think it might be the film that had the biggest impact on me the first time I saw it. But I don't think it's the best film we've ever covered on the podcast. What's, what's better
1: than Old Boy?
0: The Thing is better than Old Boy.
1: Oh yeah, that's I forgot about The Thing. I also <laughs> forgot about RoboCop.
0: But and um, RoboCop is better than Old Boy. But I, as much as I love the thing and RoboCop, neither of them had me like gasping and clutching at my own face in the way that old boy did when I first watched it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I and, kind of go on. What are you going to say?
0: Well, well, it, it, it's jumping the gun a little bit because obviously, and and you know, we're obviously going to be talking about the ending. So anyone who hasn't seen it, really, heavy, heavy spoilers, really must not listen any further. because, yeah. Well, what I'm about to say is is a very soft spoiler, but only insofar as I'm acknowledging that there is a twist. We're, We're like, going to spoil itself, the whole thing. But so, we are going, yeah. definitely going to be talking about it right up to the end. But like, I think the thing about a movie that turns so heavily on a twist is even if you appreciate it and enjoy it down the line, it's never going to be as enjoyable as it was that very, very first time.
1: I... Whereas something
0: like The Thing or Robocop I think I get more out of it every time I watch it.
1: I absolutely disagree. Um, I I couldn't disagree more. I get more out of "Old Boy" the more I watch it, partly because it's so layered and there's so much in it that you can't possibly notice on a first watch. And I'm still seeing things um, even now. So Mm -hmm. uh, the big thing for me kind of this time around was um, obviously, you know, uh something that I've noticed before is um that Park Chan wook uses colour um in order to sort of connect with the themes but also to show us that the path that Odesu's on. Um, So we get purple when there's a turn, we get green when he's on the way to a trap, and we get red when he's in the trap.
0: Well they're 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 obviously their character colours as well. One of the things I noticed for the first time this time around, talking about the colour. Aha! When, so there is something. Is well of course, but <laughs> like noticing that they've digitally made an awning purple is not the same as rewatching Robocop.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Like, so So
0: if... for so for example, like I, I very much like colour coded narrative. Um we talked about it quite a lot in what's the uh, Japanese like early J-Horror that we uh, Pulse that we covered quite Pulse thank you yeah we talked about it quite a bit in Pulse and there's some yeah there is some lovely colour coding in this one of the things I noticed for the first time in this and it's not something I would have noticed well I, I suspected it without having seen the extra features but it was only deep in, digging deep into the extra features that I had my suspicion confirmed uh-huh. which is that when Odysseus is up on the rooftop when he first escapes in the background there is a green building with a purple awning on it yeah and I thought oh, okay well that's you know that's quite nice I assume they have digitally altered the color of that building because otherwise I mean it's possible that maybe they found that location because it's got character specific colors on it but that is nice and then I in the making of you see that building in the background of some of the rushes and it's a gray awning uh not a purple awning and it's like evergreen is the is literally the builder of the world that Odessa lives in so to have a building something that is under construction something that is being fabricated in the background with those colors on it was very satisfying given that purple is is evergreen's color
1: well um okay so i think we've got different interpretations of this and also i don't think that was deliberate i think that that happened in the sort of the the chemical process um because uh, of, of the film, because um, on the audio commentary with um, Chuck Panwick and his cinematographer, they actually talk about um, those awnings and they say, um, oh, you know, a lot of people have said that that's deliberate, but it's actually accidental that, um, that they were purple. So I think maybe it's something to do with the processing that's changed the colour. They talk a lot about um, certain colours that completely changed um, during the, um, the uh, what's called bleach bypass process that they yeah, use yeah bleach
0: bypass process yeah, yeah. yeah and that's really so... interesting so just for a little clarity to the listeners there is so much additional content on this box set um, that Sam and I kind of divided up between it, so there is some crossover, but there's going to be chunks where where one of us has seen or listened to something yeah. that the other one hasn't. So there's going to be a bit of piecing it together, detective style, between us, which you know might be fun. <laughs> but yeah, um, um, uh, yeah, uh,
1: there's so there's a couple of things to do with the colour that I notice, and I, I actually don't think it's character coordinated. I really do think it's um, clues to the situation that various people are in, and and there's a reason I think that. But to give kind of specific examples, and I'm going to go right to the end now, dear sweet precious Arrowhead, so please, please stop listening if you haven't seen this film. But um, at the end, there's a really lovely combination of of the colours in this kind of narrative way. So when the laser pointer is being shined on the purple box, it's green um yeah. and so you know we've got the turn of the box we've got the the green signify that he's on the way to a trap uh and then you know my theory that red appears when he's in a trap comes when uh ODC uses the switch um to to shut down the pacemaker and for the first time the laser pointer shines red and then the recording um comes on uh and there's you know it appears throughout there's many more examples um you've got the green tint on the screen before the hypnotist walks in and she has the red flowers on her dress and she stands on the red blood on the green carpet um and when she holds up the bell we see her purple nail varnish so kind of the turn then we get the green grass transition he's on the way to a trap and then the red suitcase appears, and it opens, and the purple lining. The turn that he's been released from prison. Um, it's so rich if you watch it in this way. Um, there's constantly little things I was kind of picking up on. Um, it's just a theory though, but um, there, there's nothing about it on any of the um, special features that
0: I watched or listened to. Um, they do they do address the green lighting in the um, in the in the very very long. <laughs> stuff Um, yeah.
1: it was totally there's a there's a lot of talk about the lighting there's a lot of talk about the colors but what i mean is i didn't hear anyone say oh and by the way this means this this means that and and this means the other i i do think it kind of the the reason i do think it is a clue um though is the ending where um I, i remember kind of on release a lot of people thought that the ending was almost like Lost in Translation, which came out, I think, in the same year. Where it's supposed to be kind of a mystery, you know, about the situation these two find themselves in. Uh, but she is wearing a red coat, which makes me think that he's in another trap, uh, a trap that's going to last for a lot longer. But anyway, Dan, next point. What would you like to say this about really this? Did it really come out film? the
0: same year as Lost in Translation? I think so. Yeah, and maybe maybe in the UK. It was, yeah, that's madness. I remember I was working at a cinema when Lost in Translation came out and I saw it like a million times and really hated it by the end.
1: Yeah, it, it, I mean, uh, Lost in Translation was 2003, Old Boy was 2003, but maybe Old Boy came
0: a bit later. Crazy, crazy. It's odd how these things line up or, you you know, how they don't line up in your memory and then they do line up in... Uh, well, what was kind of surprising
1: to me was um, that it was actually, and again, you know, memories and all of that, it all kind of, Gets to mixed together, uh, yeah. but it was also released in the same year as Kill Bill. And, yes, yeah, and it was those, a can the same year th- as Kill Bill. Those films are kind of you know separate. Yeah, exactly. And it was the the year that um, Tarantino was head of the jury, wasn't it? Is that right?
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. So Kill Bill wasn't in competition; it had to go into a certain regard because yeah, he was part of the jury. That's right. Head head of the jury. Yeah, and, exactly. And and it's the year that Kill, uh, that um, old boy won um, the 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 can award uh,
1: the runner um, the grand prix du jury the the kind of yes n- yeah. not the main prize not the palm d'Or, which i think did that go to bowling for columbine that year yes yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and normally the, the grand prix du jury is given to films that kind of push cinema forward uh do you think that old boy pushes cinema forward
0: yeah, I mean, it, was certainly, it certainly pushed Korean cinema forwards. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I think that it's, you know, it's had such an echo through international cinema that it, it would be impossible to say that it wasn't very, very important. It's interesting looking back on it, because I haven't seen it for a few years, and I have watched it a number of times, yeah. but it's interesting looking back on it. it, it the things it was like, referencing or borrowing from were so much more visible this time for me than right. they had been before and I mean it's obvious it's you know even on a first watch it's obviously made by someone who loves film that's very apparent yeah. but it's more well, even to the extent that it feels like it's, it's made in a sort of post-Tarantino world even you know even then hmm. like you know he was obviously influenced to some extent by, by Tarantino as well it's yeah it's, it's, a, it's a it is certainly really lovely to revisit it and I still really love the film but, I, yeah, I, I do feel that I can't, I can't have that, that same uh, reaction to it again without the, without the twist being new. Maybe I need someone to hypnotise me if forget about it.
1: That's interesting. I've never heard Park Chan-wook talk about Tarantino in, in that way. I mean, I know it was influenced by theatre, like kind of the dark humour of, of Shakespeare. And, and, of course, Park Chan-wook uh, studied philosophy at university, not film, and yeah it's certainly kind of a weird twisted morality play isn't it where we're kind of as an audience we're presented with questioning how we feel about this uh, incestuous relationship
0: yeah it's i mean it's interesting reading about like people's reactions to it because obviously it as as successful as it was and as as loved as it was it especially in the west it got kind of uh, there were a few people who sort of pushed back against it and a lot of uh, a lot of those things have a common thread of people complaining about it being nihilistic yeah and it doesn't really make that much of a judgment call on what's going on like for all the for all, for how glossy it is it's still quite like flat in its moral judgments of the characters which is another thing that sort of struck me for the first time this time round which is just how abhorrent odysse's decision is at the end like how unbelievably selfish his decision is because he's essentially walking back into a sexual relationship with his daughter and because he's you know it's one thing to choose not to share the the horrible reveal with her and you have that moment of uh of sort of like uh like it's not even pathetic fallacy because the audience doesn't know at that point but the bit where he hugs her and she says what should I pray for and he says I pray you meet a younger man next time or pray you fall for a younger man next time mm. like there's this there's a bit where you feel like they might part ways and she's just gonna like he, he will have abandoned her again and while that'll be horrible it's certainly not as horrible as him going I can't live with this so you just wipe my mind and I'll go back to fucking my daughter
1: <laughs> yeah I, again I don't interpret it in that way Um, Yeah, I I don't think he's expecting to meet her. And I think it's, you know, an extension of the plan as opposed to him being thoughtless or um, selfish or whatever.
0: If that was the case, why would Evergreen kill himself before the plan is like he's been there, literally been there at every turn, he's been a very close architect for this so the idea that he would go, okay well half my plan's done, I'll just kill myself in this list No, I,
1: I I, think that's I think it's all part of the plan, I think it's like, it's, it's an extra layer of cruelty um, he knows his plan's going to be completed um, he's offering hope um, to a certain extent but He's so in control of everything. He has no doubt that his plan's going to be completed in the end, so he doesn't really need to be around to see it. His kind of life's purpose has been fulfilled. And he's a really interesting character. He's kind of described, I think, in the documentary, maybe or one of the commentaries, my God, I watched and listened to so many hours of stuff yeah. <laughs> for this film, but um, they talk about his character being a, a director and an actor at the same time. Um, which is really, really interesting. And actually, one of the things I really loved about the special features was the way that, um, I think it's especially in the documentary, um, Park Chan-wook is referred to as the director or director, never really by his name. The director wanted this, the director wanted that. I know it's a cultural thing. Um, Yeah,
0: I I think that there does seem to be, so I know that, for example, Bong Joon-ho is referred to as Director Bong on set. And I think it is a. I think it's a Korean thing. Can, can, the, can did,
1: I bring that to the UK? <laughs> yeah.
0: Would you be prepared to call me director on set, Dan? I'll just I'll just stop addressing you directly. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, what was I going to say? There was a yeah. Did you find on the documentary, and this is a minor gripe with Arrow? <laughs> did you find that a lot of them would just a lot of the crew would just seem to be referred to as director in the names that came up, and there. Job title was in Korean characters. Uh, no, I didn't actually
1: notice that. No, um... yeah.
0: So like, you know, you had your. You could obviously you could tell who was like production designer and who was makeup and so on. I like the fact that the makeup person had uh, like seems to be a prosthetics person as well. Like, yeah, they had yeah. Uh, prosthetics on the bench in front of them and a life form of a of a disfigured hand. Yeah, um, for presumably whatever job they were on. You know, ten years later when they did the documentary, but then all of and this is a, an assumption on my part the assistant directors the second unit directors and so on just had something in korean and then director after their name and it didn't translate in the subtitles uh, what they did
1: well <laughs> yes I feel like that is a minor gripe, and we shouldn't be too hard on um, the the QC people because um, they had quite a monumental task. No, 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 no. no, no.
0: It's 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 a very minor gripe, and I don't bring it up for no reason. The the reason I bring it up is if director is such a common term in the job titles over in Korea, Mm. then director bong, or you know, calling the the director director as an as an addition to their name, kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, it, I didn't quite understand the
1: the structure um, of it. I, I was wondering if it was kind of like second unit director and all that kind of thing. Because you had those interviews with, um, I think it was four guys who yeah. all said that they were would...
0: one of one of them was definitely an AD.
1: Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But they were yeah they were talking about how like in. Uh, pickups for things that they hadn't been able to get when the walls were wobbling. When Odessa was boxing yeah. with the the drawing on the wall, one of them ended up bloodying his fist by genuinely punching uh, like a brick wall in the back of a studio that they put some of the wallpaper up on.
1: Yeah, it was really interesting and watching like the the video diary stuff as well. Did you? How, oh my god! How far yes, did you get into that. So
0: they precious the f- arrowhead.
1: In case you haven't oh. picked up this disc. I hope so much that you will after we talk about it because honestly whether or not you think it's the best film that Arrow's put out it's got to be in the top five top three of releases they've ever put out because the amount of supplemental material is enough for basically you to save film school money and just watch this disc it has fucking (laughs) everything including a three and a half hour video diary which was just beautiful with Um, the puppet ant in it how far did you get into it (laughs) um i skipped some bits but i watched the whole thing and so yeah what kind of struck me It's almost like the the supplemental uh, material, you know, the special features tell their own story. You know, you talked about us piecing it together. Um, But there's so much, like... it's, it's really weird that normally with this level of, of information and detail, there's normally quite a lot of crossover and repetition, whereas I didn't experience that at all, and I li- listened to uh, all the commentaries, watched this uh, three and a half hour video diary and the two hour documentary, and there's very little crossover,
0: it's all yeah. new
1: information.
0: Um, the only the only real point of crossover is the fact that most of the footage that the documentary uses yeah. from set is obviously also in the diary.
1: Correct, but they put it in a kind of diff- completely different context and it's a totally well, cuz it's a yeah. different experience basically. Like watching the video Absolutely. diary is the closest that someone who doesn't spend a lot of time on set is going to get to being on set. Now obviously they cut out, you know, a lot of the boring stuff, the waiting around. Um but there's a little bit of waiting around and a little bit of the kind of weird very specific like i don't want to use the word banter but like in jokes and and stuff you really do feel like you're on that set experiencing the making of that movie don't you
0: yeah absolutely and we you really you get a feel for the like the roles they played on a social level on set as well because it's it it was obviously a very grueling shoot god yeah i think probably for you know for various cultural reasons no one was willing to tell uh, the director how like ridiculously over ambitious he was being yeah. and so he keeps on making crazy fucking decisions and like picky picky reshoot requests like retake requests yeah because like a line was a half second later like one word in the line was a half second later than he expected and the producers are just like the it says the producer and his wife used their maxed out their credit cards to finish the picture on a you know which you kind of expect from like robert rodriguez's first picture but you don't expect from this you know well I think Robert Rodriguez probably got
1: more than like one or two shots a day Um, that's one of the things that was really kind of startling was just how slow the production moved because of that level of perfection but I do think at the beginning (laughs) well no you know they in a documentary, the documentary the story like even towards the end they weren't getting enough and things were getting
0: you know you saw yeah. those little reports i think they, they were they were going faster but they just couldn't pick up that much slack it was brutal exactly like that that's conversation on set where they're talking about whether it's better to work for 24 hours straight yeah. or to work for 12 hours and then get four hours off and then come back for another 12
1: hours exactly and you know yeah they had the, their little vote on it it's a, a nice moment um but then, obviously, you know, the video... And this is where uh, I'm talking about the connections and how there's this sort of hidden story in these extra features. But, you know, the video diary starts with so many people saying, you know, talking about accidents and how they don't... They hope they don't have an accident and, you know, this can happen. Oh, my God, yeah. And then, you know, the poor guy... Uh, actually, I don't know if I want to spoil the documentary because people can't. You know, there's a you're lot of people won't have seen that. Let, let's not go into it. Let, yeah, let's yeah save I know what that. you mean though. But, but when you watch it, dear sweet arrowhead, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, no, and then you'll watch the video diary, and it's there again, but yeah, in more detail. And oh
0: god, it's, it's brutal.
1: <laughs> it's brutal. But um, yeah, one of the interesting things I found about the video diary is that Min Choi was kind of the star of the show he comes across like a, a beautiful human being very kind of kind and supportive as well as being obviously insanely talented like he is revered in career um so to see him like stopping an assistant from wiping his mouth so that he can take the napkin to do it himself it's kind of the little things that that show you who someone really is you know he even apologizes to the octopus when shooting that infamous scene um, but then on the commentary with uh, Mr. Director and his cinematographer, they talk about how sulky Min Sik- Choi was and how he's going to be sulky when he listens to the audio commentary. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, and Park Chan works like, oh, he's not going to listen to this, don't worry about it. So, yeah, it, it, it's interesting how uh, yeah. people I are deceived. Think,
0: uh, yeah, actors, actors just especially when they're working on something dark there's often a certain intensity that just goes along with the performance definitely and yeah. and then also when you're shooting for 24 hours in a fucking row especially stunt heavy sequences exactly for 24 hours straight and then like his real uh six realization that uh he was being made to do that corridor scene and again and again not because he was getting it wrong but because they wanted him to be genuinely tired for it <laughs> But I mean, and he—he he honestly looks like he's going to vomit oh my, after. He, it, yeah, he, he really it. fucking does. Um, it like, what? Looking at him, looking back at it on the monitor. Yeah, like dry heaving. Yeah, <laughs> wet with sweat.
1: But it's one of the most iconic action scenes ever. So again, you know, it's that whole Kubrick thing. You know, you, you push people, you push people, and you do get magic, weirdly. Um, but yeah he does come across as a nice guy like he buys dinner for the cast and crew on his own birthday and he's pouring everyone beer and stuff like yeah i I already just
0: him going yeah
1: i already respected him before watching this disc as as a a, a genius artist but through you know watching these interactions I, i respect him as a human being as well now um
0: yeah yeah, yeah, like even watching him go back into the restaurant at the beginning of the documentary, he's just so, like, affable and nice. Yeah. Like, uh, and like is it, is it him? He's walking towards camera at the beginning, someone comes up to him and asks for his autograph, and he's like, yeah, sure, no, it's fine. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, he is properly iconic, isn't he? So um, yeah. he's probably quite used to it. But um, shall we go into a bit more detail with the extras? I have a lot of notes um, from park chan work solo commentary um
0: well i mean i I, I, yeah i don't know how much we need to to repeat the information that's on it but it's they're obviously they're they're astonishingly in-depth uh extras the fact that park chan work does is on three audio commentaries is is bonkers and the fact that they all manage to be like worth listening to rather than just repetitive Um, Totally,
1: yeah no yeah yeah, absolutely um you you should listen to to all of them because they're all special in different ways like the the kind of cast one is not really fact-filled it's more joking conversational but there is new information there And, and it's
0: nice to just sort of see behind as well like get a bit more of that interaction
1: yeah and and it's kind of a rare one for um yeah, uh, at Min Sik Choy, it, it, he doesn't do them very often. Um, he jokes that he had one for drunk on Women and Poetry deleted, um, but he also says that he refuses to do them and, and that um, Old Boy is a rare exception. So uh, that's definitely a reason to buy. But for yeah. me, the main reason to buy this disc for anyone interested in film and filmmaking is that solo commentary. Um, it is an insane level of detail about every single creative decision, like before the film yeah. even starts he's talking about why he took the sound off the company logos in those opening moments, you know he, he goes into specifics about the the opening shot of the film and Now I used to in the old days of this podcast um, one of the sort of because we discussed the structure and uh, in those early days and um, it's similar to, to how it was then now, but one of the things we've kind of taken out is we used to talk about the opening shot of the film. I think the <laughs> opening shot is the opening statement of a film, and this commentary um, certainly proves that. Um, there's some lovely stuff on there. And yeah, Dan's right. I'm not going to go into loads of detail about the, the specific stuff that said, because you know you really should listen to it for yourself, um, but literally every single directorial decision is is gone into. It is a filmmaking masterclass, and I feel like a better filmmaker for having watched it. Um, it is truly incredible. Uh, what extras did you like, Dan?
0: Fuck uh, the video diary was not the video diary. Like the yeah the video diary the three and a half hour yeah, thing yeah. was was astonishing because it's it's very rare that you get to see all of that. Yeah uh, with the production and I did watch it after the documentary. So I had seen some bits. So I I did skip through a couple of little bits, but it was, yeah, it's both because it's another country, you know, so every, every country's film industry has its own peculiarities and, and, uh, and like specific way of doing things. So that was very interesting for me because I don't think I've ever seen anything even like close to that for Korean cinema but also i've been sort of like submerging myself in korean cinema over the last couple of weeks as we've been running up to this re-watching some old stuff watching some new things Hmm. um checking some some recommendations these potential recommendations that kind of stuff and it was really interesting to see like to to get a, a sort of peek behind the curtain on on the entire industry over there
1: yeah no yeah i completely agree um yeah, I, I also like the the uh, commentary with the cinematographer, um, like the solo director's commentary. It also feels like a film school, but in a different way. It's more technical. Um, it talks about those film processing techniques and the saturation levels, as well as giving um, lighting and very specific lens information, which is very interesting. Um, so that's really good. But
0: May, yeah, it's really the, the yeah, go on. sorry. I- I talk to you about lenses for a bit. Yeah, go cool on. <laughs> yeah, I the, always the, like talking about lenses. The, the 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 cinematography. Obviously, it's a gorgeous looking film. Yeah, but I'd not really thought about it um, before the fact that because they're shooting everything on longer lenses than people would normally use. Mm. Um, for those of our listeners who don't necessarily like know about this area of things, when you when you shoot on a, a a longer lens, not a zoom lens, because the zoom is the action of moving from a wide to a long lens, but like a, a prime. They can be zooms, but anyway, a long lens is the one that makes things look big when you're far away, but the side effect that that has is it increases that kind of quote-unquote cinematic feel where the background looks out of focus, mm. but more importantly, it pulls the background in to the subject that you're photographing. It, it, it crushes the depth of everything and makes everything look more compressed. Mm. So it's a trick that's used in stunts to make uh, punches look like they land, because if you shoot on a longer lens when you wave your face hand in front of someone's face and it's like 3 inches away it looks like it's much much closer similarly it's it's closer to how the human eye sees things so like if you want like a like a a building or a mountain range or something to look really big behind someone you'll shoot on a longer lens from slightly further away and it'll crush them together uh, and i don't think they said this explicitly although i didn't listen to the cinematographer uh, commentary um so maybe they did but one of the things i was really enjoying about that is it pulls all of the walls in really really close and it's as though he's never because this whole world is being controlled because he's still essentially a prisoner it means that all of these walls are still close like the walls of a cell he's still trapped um and so those long lenses really crush down the environment that he's in and make him like push him up against the wall at all times.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. The the cinematographer liked the, the long lenses and um, Park Chan-wook preferred wide-angle lenses, and so there's a little bit of conversation about the... Oh, nice. Not, not direct, but a little bit of... You can hear them... they're still not quite over it. I think they probably (laughs) had a lot of conversations. I did. Um,
0: There were a lot of bits where people seemed to have fought him on stuff, like really hard. Yeah. And it's to his credit that he let them yeah. win a few of those arguments because it's obviously benefited the film
1: It's really funny like there's a couple of moments where I think it I think it's their kind of dry sense of humor like Park Chan mentions a shot that he really likes and the cinematographer said oh you, you, you really like the shots that I didn't get um, you know that was the steady cam operator that got that shot uh and he's like well so now you know <laughs> uh, it's like
0: the like the commentary on the child <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. but um, <laughs> but yeah no it, it is it's a a, a kind of a, a really lovely commentary and and, and just to sort of um touch on what you're talking about and i'm going to reveal a, a detail from the solo commentary that really kind of stayed with me which is the uh park chan work talked about how he wanted the film to feel like a painting that had been painted over many times so an oil painting that was painted very thickly um and that kind of stayed with me because you know that that's something that i'm trying to do with a little more flesh with the post-production stuff on that but it, it kind of really connects with what you're talking about you know the 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 walls kind of closing in. It it, it the composition does feel very kind of uh, painterly and artful, doesn't it?
0: Well, absolutely. And and that I hadn't heard that phrase, but that's that's really nice because obviously this will have like Evergreen will have gone over this in his head hundreds of times yes. in the fifteen yes. years yes. that Edesseur is 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 put away. So by this point he's almost doing it from like muscle memory. Yeah. Like he's able to just go, Well this is the pattern, this is the way we go. Yeah. Because he's he's planned everything so so perfectly well.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Um
0: yeah, did you listen to the uh, commentary with Simon Ward and Jasper Sharp?
1: I I didn't actually
0: get through all of that one. Um, Fair,
1: but there's, uh, there are
0: a, there's a lot there's a lot of stuff on this on this uh, set. It's it's nice. It gives uh, it gives a little bit more um, of a of a feel of like where it sat in in world cinema from a western perspective at the time of it coming out yeah and, there's um, some nice... and they talk more about the graphic novel the, like the yeah. manga that it's based on um and for example i hadn't realized that japanese product was still banned in korea until 1998 which is when the old boy manga finished its run yeah so it would have arrived in a lump yeah in yeah korea like they would have had it as a single i think they said it was like eight volumes i've not read it but it would have arrived all at once uh, there. Although, like, the amount of difference, like, the, the what they chose to change is astonishing.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's, again, these are all kind of connections and stuff, but... Uh, On the solo director's commentary, he he talks about the adaptation process a little bit and how the question he wanted to focus on wasn't the how was he put in the room, but why. Yeah, why Um, was he released? Yeah. Because, you know, what is it, eight or nine volumes, the manga? Like, it's a big old thing with, like, yeah, loads of different characters and all the rest of it that aren't in the film. So, in terms of a a, a beautiful adaptation, I mean, it, it feels like as perfect as rosemary's baby though you know roman polanski obviously treated the adaptation of that book as you had to include every full stop let alone every line of dialogue whereas here they've created this perfectly constructed you know puzzle box of a film that feels like it it had to have come from this intricately plotted novel but it sounds like the manga is a lot looser
0: A lot looser and also doesn't have any incest in it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) So that's quite a big change. Yeah, just just a bit. Yeah, yeah. That's where the the why. Sorry,
1: Sam. Uh, That's all right. I I was just going to say that's where the why comes in that that he wanted to focus on. Yeah, of course.
0: Well, that's they One of the things that that sort of warmed me to the process was was how collaborative it all was. They, they talk about how you know they the producer and the director and the lead were all sort of attached to this thing. The producer had, had picked up the rights to the to the manga um, he'd got the director on board they'd talked about an actor they'd got their actor on board, and then they started developing it like so Troiman Sick was there with them for the entire like development process mm. and he talks either he or the director talk about the moment when he's like well it's gonna have to be like oedipus we're gonna have to put incest into it uh even to the point that Odysseus and oedipus are you know near homonyms. yeah and they're you know they're, they're meant to sound the same and even obviously not the, the name in the manga, it's, it, it was changed for the no, film. yeah, yeah. They, they changed it for the film, yeah, exactly. Uh, even down to the end, like hypnotism, willful hypnotism is this film's version of pulling his own eyes out. Yeah. He can't bring himself to look at what he's done. Yeah. So all of that was brought to it, and I would, as I said, I've not read the manga, but I would say that Old Boy the film is much more about that stuff than it is about the base concept of uh, a guy being locked up and then getting out, and then looking for revenge, because you may as well say this, if that's all you're taking from it, then you may as well say this is an adaptation of, like, uh, Count of Monte Cristo, which they reference in the movie. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I... Yeah. I, we should probably start to wrap it up a little bit, but, um yeah, I, I, just to finish the thing about favourite extras, I, I think that maybe the... The documentary is is my favourite. Obviously, this was uh, made separately. This is a a film in its own right that Arrow have brought into this. Um, It's not even a box set. It feels like it's a box set, but this is all on the the solo disc for Old Boy. And, yeah, it's so beautiful. It made me cry. Um, the, The final line of this documentary made me cry. Like One of the greatest documentaries about filmmaking I've ever seen um talks to absolutely everyone on the crew uh it's brutally honest it portrays the set as kind of chaotic but also completely unified yeah man what a piece
0: of work it is uh did you also love the documentary i did yeah it was it was fantastic yeah it was, uh yeah the, like the whole thing is just fucking great it's uh, a really really lovely box set i can't get rid of my old box set annoyingly <laughs> what's on there Dan? But- Oh uh, it's got the storyboards. Oh yeah. As yeah, a yeah. as a book. Yeah yeah. Like it's the the Korean metal box that comes in the replica of the of the, the purple box. The, the reveal box the yeah, purple thing you yeah, got. Yeah. I mean that was and that's something that was interesting about this. Like obviously I was very very lucky to see it at Cannes. But it was around about the time that I was already excited about Asian cinema mm. and um you know I was importing a lot of DVDs from Asia at this point and and like a lot of blind buys and it was like to be able to and so i think i had this on dvd if not before it was out in the cinema then certainly before it was out on disc in this country Mm. um and so you know i was just inviting people around to watch it so i watched it so many times and that that reveal is just so fucking amazing yeah and it's and i've just kept on yeah i've bought so many versions of it that's the only one i'll keep with this one i think is that first boxer
1: Yeah, no, it's a film I absolutely adore. I think it's just an incredible feat of filmmaking. And uh, this, I I mean, you know, it's something that I actually watch once a year. um, And I went to see it at the cinema last year, the Prince Charles Cinema had it because Arrow were releasing it. And I think I talked about on the podcast before the experience of seeing it with an audience and the sense that none of them knew all the twists and stuff, like people were squirming in their seat. Um, yeah, we had a
0: virgin audience for
1: it. Yeah, it was so you much get fun. A lot of
0: new watches. It, yeah, was so, it was
1: so good. It was so much fun. So, um yeah, I, I do think that you know because I watched it so much when it was first out. You know, I can understand like people thinking, "Oh, old oh boy, I've kind of seen it." You know, I don't really need to revisit that one. And like you say, once you know the twist, you know, is there any more to it than that? Um, but honestly. If you don't have this Blu-ray, it gives the film a whole new life and it will teach you so many wonderful things and take you on such a journey. So, God, yeah, if, it's, if ever it, there was value for money, it is this disc.
0: It's, yeah, it's another one of those ones where it's an amazing film but the real thing that will blow you away is, is the amount of other stuff on the disc. Yeah. If you've seen it, if you haven't seen it, why the hell are you listening at this point? Oh, well, no, you right won't be, you won't be.
1: If you are, then fucking hell, I'm so sorry. Um, oh, should we move on to recommendations?
0: Can I do a tiny quiz for you, Sam?
1: Oh, no, no, you can't. I don't Come like on. quizzes. Well, one, one you question. know I don't like quizzes, no. It's, it's,
0: one, it's one question it's no. deliberately slightly obtuse, but then no. it'll be over. No, and that's why I don't like quizzes with you. Well, then why, you... Don't, why don't you just let me ask the question and then just refuse to answer it so I can say the answer, because I haven't thought of another way of phrasing it. For fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. um can you tell me what one thing links all of these three films to old boy uh jailhouse rock bergman's cries and whispers and john L. goddard's breathless mm. is that you refusing to answer
1: it? no uh, no this is me refusing to answer now i was going to think <laughs> about it but i forgot that i had that option so yeah why don't you tell oh, us all dan what what connects those films
0: Uh, They are all names of songs composed for the film. And in fact, every single track on the film is the name of a movie that is in some way referenced in the movie um and one of the very few things that isn't included in this box set is the soundtrack which obviously in the old ones would come on a cd you don't need it on cd anymore it's on um apple music i'm sure it's on spotify yeah yeah um it's a beautiful soundtrack but also it's very fun to go through the listing and think about how these films are in some way referenced by old boy like the first track on the soundtrack is called look who's talking Oh, wow. Which is obviously Amy Heckerling's 89. It's about a woman whose partner disappears, leaving her with a child, which is the flip side of the opening narrative of Old Boy. So, like, all the way through, there are these little, like, lovely little bits. Uh, Steven Soderbergh's Out of Sight is referenced on the soundtrack as well, um, which is about a man who's escaped from jail and is running around with a woman who has been kidnapped, although in that instance it is by him rather than by his adversary brilliant so yeah loads and loads of really lovely little film references just in the soundtrack listing
1: well i'm glad i refused to play that game because literally this podcast would have had an extra 40 minutes of silent contemplation while i tried (laughs) to piece that together but i never would have been able to guess that so it's a rotten question this is why i don't like quizzes with you dan Um, sorry it takes us takes me back to that um fright fest horror quiz that we did some questions for where we asked people to identify the sound clip that we were playing and it was yeah. <laughs> Michael Myers howling in the director's <laughs> cut of Rob Zombie's remake. And well, people really
0: hated us for that. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah, they did. Well, but, but because we were told we were only allowed one difficult question. Yeah. all our first our first run of questions were deemed too difficult and they weren't anywhere nearly that difficult. No, they weren't. Um, and each team had written around that they would then sit out and so everyone else's rounds were fucking impossible and everyone got all of our 10 because we'd been bullied and jen my wife was running it we'd been she'd looked at our questions and gone well these are too hard whereas none of no one else had had that level of oversight yeah so all of our questions were super easy we were allowed one hard question we're like well if we're allowed one hard question we'll make it pretty much impossible
1: (laughs) (laughs) exactly right well let's do recommendations based on old boy um i'm gonna start Uh, because I am going to... Both of mine and ones that we've mentioned on the podcast before, and I suspect the reason I've done that is uh, partly because I suspected that you would do deep, deep cuts from... uh, Not super deep for the based on. Okay, well, let's see. Slightly
0: deeper for the recently, because the recently are all from my Korean dive.
1: Got it. Well, I am going to recommend that you go and see parasite at the cinema in a couple of weeks time i know um, dan's talked about it quite a lot um but i finally got around to watching it because i have a friend in the academy i'm not going to say which friend or which academy because i suspect that you're not allowed to let people watch those films with you but i did and yeah uh, in terms of the connections one of the key elements of old boy is Obviously, the way filmmaking elements... So, you know, even the blocking, the placement of the camera, the colour palette, and so on, are used to express the themes um Parasite is the same now no spoilers obviously not even one not even a little one um but when you watch it just really examine the moments when characters are being shot from above and when they're being shot from below that is just one example of many this is uh, a very intricate film uh, as with old boy the the level of attention to detail isn't immediately noticeable but it does kind of seep into the subconscious so um yeah uh, Old Boy feels like a, a, a hypnotic suggestion in itself because it's doing all of this subconscious stuff um, and I kind of feel the same way about Parasite. So uh, watch it once, then watch it again um, and uh, tell us what you thought of it. I'm sure it will be on many people's best film of the year lists because it is magnificent. Dan, what is your next first recommendation based on Old Boy?
0: Uh, well, so my first uh, recommendation, based on Old Boy, uh, shares uh, a lead with Parasite oh. uh, in Song Kang Ho. Nice, and it's Bong Joon Ho's uh, 2000 JSA. Nice, uh, Joint Security Area. Yeah, um, it's I think it's got a, a disc in this country. I'm sure it's it's going to be relatively easy to get hold of. Um, I I saw it before I saw Old Boy, uh, but I don't think I knew that Old Boy was the same director when I watched it it sort of starts off like a courtroom drama Uh, it's about uh, a couple of bodies that turn up in the demilitarized zone between north and south korea um and it turns into a murder mystery it's absolutely fucking great um one thing that's worth it got an award i think it might have got the silver bear at berlin definitely got a lot of awards for the sound it was one of the first discs i ever had that was in dts um so if you have a surround sound setup uh, or if you know someone who has one uh do watch it on the best sound system available because it is genuinely beautiful there is a, a a bit of gunfire about halfway through that is so beautifully mixed um but yeah it's just a really really good thriller it's obviously really well thought out and really um considered as all of his films are um but i feel like it's one that doesn't necessarily get as much play that's interesting a lot of these uh, a lot of these Korean films getting the runners up prize
1: eh uh, and I can't help but think that uh, at the Academy Awards uh, which is next month, isn't it? Parasite is nominated for best Picture, amazing. I think it's the first Korean movie to be nominated for best Picture, but it's also yes, nominated so. for best Foreign, so going by this pattern. I believe that it's probably going to just win the best foreign film, um, if it doesn't, when it's also up for best picture, that's madness. Um, and I sus- yeah, That does
0: feel a bit mad, right? Yeah. But-
1: I suspect it's between um, 1917, which I haven't seen yet, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for, for best picture this year, but let's see. 1917, I haven't seen it yet, but it just looks like the sort of shit that um,
0: Oscar <laughs> loves.
1: Um, you know, they do love war, don't they? anyway let's get off that and get on to my (laughs) next recommendation uh recommend that you watch a film that i have mentioned so many times i'm not going to go on about it but burning the novelistic yeah, nature lovely. of Burning makes it a perfect companion for Old Boy. Um, and the way it foreshadows stuff so subtly, but so satisfyingly, means that they will work really well together. Um, and like yeah. I say, I'm not going to bang on about it too much. But if there's anyone out there who hasn't listened to either me or Dan uh, and uh, sat down and watched Burning, um, you, you really very much should. It is a yeah. masterpiece.
0: And another another Korean movie based on a piece of Japanese text, although in this instance a traditional novel rather yeah. than a graphic novel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good, a good, uh, a good connect. Uh, my uh, my second recommendation. I was torn. I had a backup because I thought there was a possibility you'd recommend JSA. Um, yeah, didn't we watch that together? JSA. Yeah,
1: like not um, a first time watch for you, obviously. But I think um, no, yeah, I think uh, we, did we a may have
0: done. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a great movie and it's yeah. so, it's one I enjoy showing people. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, rem- I I think I might have been at university when I got that disc and I had a projector in my, in my dorm in the first year um, with a sheet against a wardrobe as my screen um, and I used to make people watch movies on that. Maybe <laughs> that was it was... Um, trotted out a few times, but I think we might have watched it at the house together. Maybe. I mean, there was a period where I went through like all
1: of your Korean films. You kindly pulled them out of the... Uh... The collection for me, and I, I watch quite a lot, so maybe I'll watch that one on my own. But anyway, the listeners don't need to know about that. They
0: need to know your next recommendation, which is. Uh, my next film uh, shares a star with Old Boy in that it has Ujite in it. Mm-hmm. It is Woman is the Future of Man, which I have mentioned before on the podcast. It was at the same can as uh, Old Boy. In fact, it was also in competition. At the same time It is also uh, available from Arrow um, It's a very different type of movie um, It's a more Traditional Korean movie One of the things about Boy is that it, it's not Particularly Korean or at least not particularly Korean in its stylings As Korean cinema was then Before the sort of Asia extreme thing Had kind of mm. burst onto the scene um, Woman is the future of man Has more of a sort of Lee Chang Dong Kind of feel to it It's from Hong Sang-soo, it's about two friends who meet up when they uh, both go back to their hometown, sort of like having hit a bit of a dead end in their life, and they both are reminiscing over their time in the past, and one of the things in their reminiscing is uh, a a woman that they both knew when they were younger, who both of them have been in love with at, at different points of their lives. And they end up deciding to try and track her down, which they succeed. And the film is uh just about the time that these three people spend together in this slightly weird, um sort of like old school, like not old school, but love triangle from the past kind of thing. Um and it's sad and slow and very tender and very sweet. Um and it's got an amazing soundtrack. So yeah. Lovely good. (laughs)
1: Lovely, lovely
0: recommendation um and just to throw it in my uh my backup choice in case we had doubled up at all is uh 1999 kim Sang Jin attack the gas station which i think also has yuji tae in it actually it's been a long time since i've seen it um it's one of the first korean films i saw certainly one of the first ones with that slightly more modern feel and it's an absolute fucking delight i yeah can't recommend it highly enough great attack the gas station wonderful
1: and i also have a supplementary recommendation it's not like it's not an also ran um Because it's a book, Dan. It's a book. It's a book that was almost a film. It was a book that was (laughs) almost a film. Um, But basically, Going Out, which is a book by my sister, Scarlett Thomas, um, it includes a character who's told he's allergic to the sun so he can't leave the house. And he learns everything he knows about the world through movies and TV. Scarlett used to joke the character was based on me. At least I think she was joking. I did spend a lot of time watching movies when I was younger. Um, And there was a time when Simon Pegg was in, interested in adapting it into a film um but that obviously never happened but it is still a great book and it may be based on me or it also might not be i don't know going out <laughs> by scarlet thomas right should we go into the past couple of weeks yeah yeah do it uh dan what have you watched in the past couple of weeks
0: no it's your go you go first
1: oh, all right fine uh i watched five obstructions for the first time uh, believe it or not uh now i do love Lars von Trier, I know he's a controversial figure and he's a provocateur, but then, you know, so am I, hopefully. So, uh, yeah, I've been sort of watching the bits and pieces that I haven't seen that he's made. And, yeah, it's a documentary where he asks his director friend to remake uh, one of this guy's short films, um, yeah, to remake it over and over again, but with different restrictions each time uh part of the enjoyment of the film is the journey it goes on so uh, i will not spoil it and there are very significant things you can spoil but it's a very fascinating insight into the creation of art and um kind of the separation of art and the artist in that it's quite difficult to separate art from the artist so um in the creative sense uh not necessarily in the ethical sense but yeah uh five obstructions uh i believe you can rent it from maybe movie or amazon or something like that um i can't remember where we stumbled upon it but um yeah it's a really great documentary if you're interested in filmmaking and filmmakers dan what have you watched and have you seen five obstructions
0: no i haven't um does it does it have little makings of for each of the five, or is it just you get told what the premise is and then you get told what each of the restrictions is and you watch the film five times?
1: So it's basically a series. uh, This guy goes to meet with Lars von Trier. Lars von Trier kind of works out the things this guy doesn't want to do and then makes him do them. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so it's a series. Sounds like Lars. (laughs) It's a series of meetings. Then it's the making of. Then you see the film itself in full. Um, and then you get Lars's reaction and, and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a nice little construction and there's a, a bit of a twist at the end. So, um, yeah, it, it's
0: a, were you, very uh, good. Were you drawn to Lars von Trier in this fortnight because Yujite is in the house that Joe built?
1: Uh, I, maybe subconsciously, um, but no, <laughs> no. It's purely, um, you know, between you and me, Dan, right? Don't yeah. tell anyone this, but I suspect that um a little more flesh is going to be divisive so <laughs> i've been watching divisive films um or, or attempting to uh you know just to prepare myself for the inevitable backlash there are going to yeah, be I sh- obviously you know i'm not talking down my own film i love my own film and you know certainly the listeners to this podcast are definitely gonna get it and love it because they know me they know where i'm coming from but i'm talking about the other lot the the people who who don't necessarily understand who i am as a, a human being and uh, <laughs> may well <laughs> get a bit confused so um it's going to be interesting but
0: um i anyway, uh, yeah. i showed jen labette yesterday oh nice how did she feel i'm not sure she was super keen on it
1: <laughs> <laughs> understatement of the year i imagine uh, um what, uh, what yeah. what's your um
0: first thing from the past couple of weeks i'm assuming it's not Lebet. <laughs> no no it's not Lebet. although labette is on arrow i believe and and is worth a look if you don't mind a bit of horsecock. my first one is going to be unbelievably divisive but that's okay because I suspect not very many of you are going to watch it because you have to import it from Hong Kong. It has not been released in America or in England. But there is a very nice Hong Kong Blu-ray with English subtitles. Mm-hmm. It stars Gu Yong, uh, Yu Gong rather from Train to Busan mm-hmm. and uh, my tutor friend, if you've seen that. Um, it's from 2011 by Huang Dong Kyuk. It is called Silenced. It is a true story. It is... One of the grimmest fucking films I've ever seen in my life. Oh, why don't I still live with you? <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Tony and I watched it uh, a, a few nights ago. Uh, as I said, I've been like sort of dipping quite hard into a, a lot of the Korean stuff I hadn't got round to that I have in my collection. Yeah. It is... Yeah, I mean, like all Korean films, it's quite long for a start, and then it's just fucking wretched. I'll give you a little bit of a little bit of a thing... Uh, so it's it's because it's based on a true story you 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 are expected to know kind of where it's going because it was a very big story in Korea mm. um, It's about a young guy who goes to be a teacher at a school for deaf children and discovers that they are being sexually abused by the headmaster and his identical twin brother and another member of the staff. oh my god and it is un-fucking- believably difficult to watch. Um, It is also amazing, and one thing I will say, and this little piece of information will help you get through it if you choose to watch it, um, is that the film was so successful in Korea that it caused court cases and rulings to be changed two months after the film was released, and, more importantly, all of Korea's fucking sexual abuse laws to be rewritten. So... Oh my fucking God. Like one of the things I have been experiencing on this is that it, like a lot of shit in Korea was pretty messed up until not that long ago. (laughs) And it turns out that the sexual abuse laws were one of those things. Wow, But yeah, it's, it's an amazing film if you can get through it. It's difficult.
1: Well, um, welcome to the Harrow video podcast, harrowing video <laughs> podcast with Sam and Dan, because my next recommendation also caused some laws to be changed. Or did it? I don't know if that's a spoiler. But I, yeah, anyway, uh, I'm really not going to go into spoilers on this because, uh, yeah, it's another documentary. It's, it's called, and I imagine you've seen this one, Dan, um your father's murderer a letter to zachary have you
0: seen it no i haven't i've heard about it but i've not seen it
1: yeah so again literally no details because the way it unfolds is just staggering um it's pr- maybe the most harrowing documentary i've ever seen though show is probably <laughs> up there um but holy fuck <laughs> it's supremely disturbing but, but definitely worth watching. It's impossibly well made, especially considering um, the director was so directly involved with the subject matter. Um, yeah, just when you think, oh, it can't possibly get worse than this, it fucking does. So um, if, you know, you, you want to have a really really miserable day then by all means watch dan's last recommendation and and this one um your father's murderer a letter to zachary it's a documentary and holy fuck it is seriously seriously worth going through the pain to watch it is a, a wonderful film that that um had a profound impact
0: Uh, 2019 was meant to be the year that I watched a shitload more documentaries, and I did not manage to do it. I think I watched very slightly more documentaries, but that was on my list of things I was going to watch, and then I did not get to. So maybe I'll bump it back up the list again. Totally, Um, man. You, you
1: you would, yeah. You you and James should watch it, yeah.
0: Um, so pretty much directly after *Silenced*, from the stack, uh, we put on a film that we were pretty sure was a comedy because it said it was a. said it was a comedy oh no it's not a comedy (laughs) (laughs) my mind goes back to me being told that save the green planet was a comedy yes fucking 90 minutes of ball abrasion um (laughs) uh, yeah it's called a taxi driver from 2017 right uh jang hun directed it uh it stars song kang ho uh who you will recognize from um uh my brain has fallen out uh from from jsa and parasite and, and and all that stuff it's about the 1980 Gwangju uprising mm-hmm. uh, in Korea. It is essentially again about uh, a civil rights problem. Uh, the film itself did not have any direct effect on the laws, but a lot of the laws were written, rewritten after the news of what was going on in the film broke onto the international scene. And it is about a real man who is a taxi driver in Seoul who was uh, asked to drive a German undercover reporter into the media blackout area of Guangzhou during a protest where the police were just gunning down students in the street but for all of that it's actually not as like it's it's got some harrowing moments in it but it treats it all very like delicately and it's not about making you feel bad it's and it's got some pretty tense moments and some pretty good action like not action stuff but you know like events like Fast-paced stuff. Mm. Um, but overall, it's actually quite a, a, like a nice and rewarding film. Uh, mm. Whereas Silenced, if you didn't have that little coda of what happened after the film was released, it's just fucking wretched. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: sorry about that, dear arrowheads. We'll try and bring you something a bit more cheery <laughs> next, <laughs> next fortnight. But, you know, sometimes it's good to watch these dark and disturbing movies. Um, yeah. So shall we oh sucks
0: all the oxygen out of the room <laughs> nice shall we move on to
1: extra features extra features extra features no extra features again i don't know when we'll
0: ever do them again i um, might uh, maybe i'll tweet photographs of the the storyboards from the other books oh uh, yeah that's a great uh, wow yeah what a great extra feature that, that would be yeah, yeah. oh and also vote for me please in the Fangoria thing yeah we're getting <laughs> to <laughs> that
1: <laughs> we're getting to that there's still time to do it um, and you definitely should uh, you know we, we do this podcast for you for free every two weeks the least you could do is get Dan a bloody chainsaw prize from Fangoria um, and Just also his,
0: chainsaw. you get a real chainsaw right
1: uh, I assume so I can only yeah, assume cool. so um, but yeah definitely well deserved and if you haven't watched Girl on the Third Floor yet it's out right
0: yeah, it is out now. It's yeah. definitely out in the States. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's on VOD in the UK. I'm pretty sure you uh, can... It will be like, having a physical media release in the near future
1: as well. You can rent so. or buy it on Amazon, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, do that. See Dan's incredible fun. work, and then you will be compelled to go and vote for him because it's amazing. Now, uh, social media.
0: Di- oh, sorry.
1: Were you going to say it's directed by Travis Stevens?
0: I was going to say Travis is also up for an award for it.
1: Oh, uh, nice. As
0: as best newcomer in the same uh, same awards different category. So you should vote for him too.
1: Yeah, if you've got time to vote for him, by all means do. But really yeah, I mean, You do, literally
0: can't just vote in one category. You have to vote Really for every do category.
1: focus on voting for Dan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I got a I got a rather uh like sort of sad email from my father saying I wanted to vote for you in your thing uh but uh, i didn't know what any of the other films were so i didn't know what to put in any of the other categories i thought it was dishonest to just like (laughs) like, randomly put shit
1: down oh that's beautiful but don't be like dan's dad do vote dishonestly as long as you vote for dan now I, i cannot condone that i can social media uh where can people hunt you down
0: uh I'm at 13FingerFX uh on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh that's uh one three F I N G E R F X and the uh link to vote is my pinned tweet. So and, yeah, and, do that.
1: And you're doing a buy one dog get one free deal at the moment, aren't you? Uh pet one dog get one free, yes. Yes, yes. Uh I, a very adorable puppy that you've got there, Dan. He's a sweet boy. Uh, not bitter at all that I've never met him, but it's fine. It's fine. Scotland's nice too. Uh, I am at Sam Ashurst on Twitter. I am at Sam Ashurst23, the number two, the number three on Instagram. I'm also just Sam Ashurst on Facebook. You can try and add me on Facebook if you like. Why not? Let's see what happens. <laughs> you're going to say I'm also Sam Ashurst in real life yeah that's how I go about my day just being Sam Ashurst. shout that
0: across a restaurant at Sam yes and
1: I will bring you your your meal Um, (laughs) (laughs) that's a that's a promise that's not a promise I'm sorry I'm sorry anyway we're rambling and we're going over time so let's do Mike a favour and wrap this up thank you so much for listening and we promise to be more professional professional uh, there's a weird echo going on and this is my catchphrase Dan (laughs) I have the copyright on this catchphrase so I'm going to do it again one last time without the interruptions you don't have the copyright on my catchphrase thank you so much for listening we promise to be more professional next time bye bye
0: bye